Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Well, friends, I, I came from here. Well, not me exactly, but my family came from there. Um, I haven't actually visited that place yet. It uh, turns out it's kind of hard to get to. If you think your ancestors came from the middle of nowhere, my forebears would beg to differ. This 8 by 16 kilometer island somewhere between Namibia and Brazil. Yep. <clears throat> There's really only one claim to fame. A certain little emperor was finally exiled there. And he died two days after one of my great grandmothers, a loyal British subject, served him afternoon tea. Historians may still debate how he died, but when they do, I like to think great-great-great-grandma kind of just smiles. <laughs> have you ever dug into your family history? Uh, some of us have access to living relatives who give us a lot of information about our past. Uh, some of us maybe have had access to memoirs or archives that fill out some details. Others amongst we have no idea. There's been a, uh, there, there was a people moved away from home or maybe you were adopted into a different family and you don't have a clear picture of, of what happened before. And then of course, some of us, we wish we didn't know nearly as much as we do. Understanding our family background, the who's and the when's and the defining events and the shared experiences, the, the losses and the tragedies and the patterns and the scandals, and as well as the successes and triumphs, these can all help us understand why we are the way we are. And just as a little side tip, when you get to know a significant other or friend, it can also help you understand why they are the way they are, right? In fact, getting a clearer picture on your own personal family history and the dynamics of those relationships between, within your family of origins can actually inspire huge growth in your life, and sometimes even in a bit of a mysterious way. As you dig into that family of origin stuff, you can begin to grow spiritually and emotionally, relationally, even physically, in ways that you didn't expect. Our family of origins helps us understand, yes, who we are, why we are the way we are, particularly so we can cherish what is good and acknowledge those gaps and live with a better awareness of God's work in our family and in our lives. Well, it turns out understanding a bit of our family background as a particular church helps too. This is true of any church that you might be part of or even have noticed or maybe your friends are part of it. These kind of questions like, where did they come from? Or what What's their story? What's their origin event? Why do they exist? What have been the defining moments or maybe the tragic missteps 
What's the family history of that particular church or that group of churches? And so as we begin our fall series on what are our sort of core elements, our covenant affirmations as a church, I wanted to start with a little bit of our family history as an evangelical covenant church. I hope by understanding our roots a little more, it'll help explain a few of the reasons of why we are the way we are and how God might be at work in us now. Now, who would find this important? I think, first of all, those of you who are new followers of Jesus or still just exploring faith in Jesus, I think you'll find this helpful because it'll, it'll answer some of those introductory questions like, what can I expect here? Or why are these people the way they are? Or what's this group about? What makes this church tick? How are they the same as all the other churches out there? How are they different? These are important questions. And for some of you, it'll help you know whether this is the church community for you. Whether this is a church community that can continue to help you grow spiritually. Or maybe you want to look somewhere else. There's another group of people I think this series will really help. And that's those who are in transition. Uh, Maybe you've just moved in from out of town. You're looking for a church home, but you're a bit more familiar with the whole church gig. Or maybe you're from the valley and you took a long break from church and now you decide to check out those odd covenanters down by the bridge. And so this series can help you figure out, yes, who we are, but also who we're not, especially if you've come from a different church background or even a difficult church experience. And I think these next Sunday sessions will help define some things for you before you jump in to give and to serve. Because I think get all the surprises out early, right? So if you have to, you can split before anyone really gets their, you know, hooks into you. Yeah, it sounds ominous, but it's true. And so for those of and then for those of us who do call this church home, this fall series I think will serve as a bit of a refocusing time for us where we'll be reminded of what is it that we affirm? What, are, what is a core thing for us? Like, what's really important to us? How do we want to share in this life together as covenanters? And so, simply put, uh, three goals for this whole series. I hope there's increased clarity. I do want to help you understand and get clear on who we are and who we aren't. And for some, that will be even helping you decide whether we're the church for you. Because I really, really, I mean, I hope you pick this up. If you're new here, we've had this conversation. I hope you know that, like, I really want, if, if you're looking for a church, I want you to find the right church for you, and we well may not be it. And so this is important, uh, increased clarity. I also hope uh, that one of my goals for this series is greater depth, that this will provoke meaningful conversations for us uh, 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 around what is central, and frankly, what is not, particularly as we gather in our small groups and have these conversations. I hope that we grow together spiritually and relationally as mission friends. And then I am, I am hoping to inspire, the third thing is I'm hoping to inspire some of you to level up your commitment into membership. Now, I, don't wanna, I didn't want to hide that from you, that I'm going to mention that at some point this fall. But there's not pressure around that. I'm just saying, for some of you, that's going to be the next step you take into membership, into an increased um, leveling up of your commitment here. Um, And so we'll get to that. So anyway, as we dig in, a little bit of a different message today. I normally preach just straight from Scripture. It's going to be a little bit more history today. 
and we'll, we'll top it off with some scripture, but uh, if you would just join me, let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you lead us today as we just um, dig into a bit of our history. Uh, it's wonderful to know that you've been at work among your people for generations. And we are not here on the scene today out of nowhere. <laughs> we have history. We have background. And some of that represents men and women who have sought you and served you and served your church literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And we have inherited uh, that. And so we acknowledge that. We praise you for your faithfulness. And as we learn today, may we catch a glimpse of that. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as covenanters, our family of origins has been shaped by a renewal movement called pietism. Is that a new word to you? Pietism? With a capital P? Anyone? Oh, no, no, no. Let me. How many are like, yeah, pietism, I got that. I know what that is. Because I didn't when I joined the covenant. Now, I realized later as I got to know more about it, how influential it had been in my life. But it was a new thing to me. And in order to understand pietism, in order to understand our covenant family, you need to understand pietism. I want to take you back to Germany. In the centuries that followed the Great Reformation, as a covenant church, we're rooted in the Reformation, but particularly the Lutheran side of that Reformation, when the famous Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg door 505 years ago on October 31st. Mark that on your calendars and celebrate that on October 30th. Oh man, most pictures, he's not wearing a hat. He's like shaved here. I'm kind of hoping for some Halloween dress up. I challenge any man in the congregation to shave a big honking bald spot, like bigger than normal. Just leave the rim right here and go as Martin Luther with a hammer. And when you go out on, th- go out on Halloween with your kids, just nail stuff to people's doors, see how that goes. <laughs> anyway, so that was not my notes. Just saying. Well, the Reformation's all good and fine, of course, and we celebrate that. Fellows like John Calvin and Martin Luther and others helped the church regain the supremacy of grace, the centrality of God's word. But the church then did what the church often does. It very quickly lost the plot and began to fracture into thousands of subgroups, each now determining for themselves then what was really real, what was truly true. And then sadly, within even the opening decades of the Reformation, Calvinists were persecuting Anabaptists. And some of you are from Anabaptist or Mennonite history. And yeah, Calvinists were not friendly to your people at all. Lutherans were condemning Calvinists. Actually, everybody was lining up to condemn pretty much everybody, claiming the privileged status of having the real truth being the truly faithful ones, and of course, always over and against those other people. Well, fast forward a few hundred years, or a hundred years actually, and many of the Reformed churches who had inherited this were very concerned with doctrinal purity, as defined by, of course, their particular group or their particular guys. But it seemed like they were a lot more concerned with doctrinal purity than they were with Christian love or Christian unity. And a lot of the preaching and teaching of the church had become really an extended theological argument with that group over there or, or, or that 
that uh, theologian. Of, it'd, be, it'd be like you coming to church Sunday morning and I go on a tirade about, oh, something I read on a blog this week by somebody in, you know, I don't know, Southern California. And you're sitting here thinking, what is he talking about? And it's on these real fine points and all this stuff and it's going on and I'm arguing back and forth and you're clueless to know even what's happening. A lot of the preaching and the teaching of the church had become very argumentative down about these fine, fine, tightly knit theological issues and so much of the heart had been lost. Preachers and teachers seemed to be much more concerned with developing and defending their theological systems and much less concerned with the spiritual formation of their people. But, of course, within that dry wasteland, the Holy Spirit was still at work, prompting people, moving people, calling people to himself. The Holy Spirit does not give up. And all along, there were men and women who were still yearning for a real connection with the living God. And they would seek God's face, and they would gather, and they would pray. Even when they were receiving, at times, very little support or encouragement from their pastors or preachers or whatever. Well, among the German churches, but then spilling out into the other um, European, particularly Scandinavian countries, um, there was a renewal movement that began called pietism, and it began to pick up steam. Pietism at its heart really sought to cut through all the chaff, all that doctrinal controversy, all that hair-splitting theological arguments in order to actually hear the word of God, to hear it read, to hear it spoken, so that they people could respond to God in faith and in obedience. And it wasn't as though pietism didn't care about good theology, but they could see that all the divisiveness, um, all all the arguments, all all the lack of spiritual vigor, all the lack of Christian love, they began to see it as evidence that there was actually something wrong with the theology. They wanted to get back to the center, having hearts reborn in Christ and shaped into the character of Christ by the Spirit, under the authority of God's Word. And what's more, in the larger culture of the time, particularly during the Thirty Years' War that ravaged Europe between 1618 and 1648, um, it made a lot of people realize that there was never going to be unity, love, uh, flourishing of society if we all had to agree on theological points. Some of them rejected religion as a result. Others went back to the heart, and that was the pietists made people realize that good theology without God's love is actually a deadly combination. Well, a man who really helped solidify the pietist movement, there were many, but I want to highlight a man whose name was Philip Jacob Spenner. There was a lot of different portraits online, so I'm guessing they were guessing at what he looked like. So here's the guess of what Buddy Phil looked like. Spenner was a pastor who actually did demonstrate a deep concern Uh, particularly for the young people in his congregation and their nurture in Christ. And in 1670, you need to know this, he started something super radical, subversive, dangerous, groundbreaking new initiative called small groups. (laughs) Not everyone was happy about small groups, you understand. You You don't want people sitting around the scripture and deciding for themselves what they think. So he started this groundbreaking new initiative called Small Groups, Collegia Pietatis, in Latin, of course, where people would gather together and actually just pray and read Scripture 
and talk about it. Imagine that. And over the years, Spanner began to articulate what he called, translation, the piety we desire. And he wrote a very influential book, very influential book called, um, it's the Latin, of course, Pia Desideria. There it is. And I've been working on my German, but I can't read that. In 1675, he published this. I'm telling you all this because the six points that Spenner made in this little booklet rings like a pietist manifesto, and it has been hugely influential in multiple Christian family groups, but certainly influential in our covenant family. The Evangelical Covenant Church, when it was born, uh, so to speak, in North America in 1885, and it was at the time called, wait for it, the Swedish Evangelical Mission Covenant Church. Um, these Swedish Lutheran immigrants, they were pietists through and through. They had been raised on a pietist way of engaging the scripture, engaging in mission. And so the church they started, which was really just a joining together of a collection of churches to do mission together, was pietist from day one. That was the ethos, the air that they breathed. I want you to listen to Spenner's call in this little book he wrote so many years ago, a book that most of us, including me up to just a few years ago, would never have heard of. But I want you to hear how relevant they are and how much they resemble our ethos as a covenant church. So six points Spenner had. The first thing he wanted is more Bible. Spenner argued for a more extensive use of the Bible in the church. He believed the Bible needed to be in the hands of the people so they could actually read it. And we think, well, wasn't that the whole deal with like, uh, you know, Wycliffe and, and, and wasn't that the whole deal with Luther? Yeah, but it had been lost because in all that theological controversy that had erupted, it didn't take long for people to go, no, 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 give me that. I'll tell you what it says, right? And scared, scared that, you know, commoners would have the Bible in their hands because they might come to the wrong conclusion. They might not agree with sub point B, section four, part Z of the theological formulations that we know is what Jesus died on the cross for. So um, he argued that, no, 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 we got to give the Bible back to the people. And what's more, preachers should actually start preaching from the Bible. And you say, well, what were they preaching from? Well, they were starting to preach from other theological texts, not from the Bible itself. They thought maybe they were safer, or I don't know. They, a lot of it had just devolved into so much controversy that they were more about those theological arguments than they were about Scripture. And so Spenner sought to regain the primacy of Scripture and the use of Scripture by real people. Okay, that's awesome. Number two, he wanted a renewed lay ministry. He argued for a renewal of something that was central to Luther, certainly, but had been lost. And that is the spiritual priesthood of all believers, the ministry of the lay people, non-clergy, to each other. He might do away with pastors. He saw the importance of them. (laughs) But he wanted the people of God actually functioning as the spirit-filled ministers they were called to be. And so he set out to, to... pursue that. The third thing he called for was a lived out faith where Christians are 
truly living Christian lives, where the faith that they affirmed or believed in was actually translated into life. It wasn't just ideas on a page, things we said, but it actually was a fully orbed, heart, head, life faith. If the Christian faith isn't being lived, is it Christian? That, that was Spanner's thing. And the fourth thing, of course, no surprise, he called for was some restraint around theological religious controversies. Because there was a whole bunch of it going on. He was saying, whoa, whoa, time out. Like, yeah, okay, there can be a time and a place for disagreement, maybe even debate. But that shouldn't be our dominant posture. And it shouldn't lead us to attack other people, tear other people down, cause further division among believers. His fifth point was that preachers should start preaching sermons that encouraged people. Nice idea, I thought. Not to use their pulpit time to carry on theological debates with other academics or theologians or pastors, and we all thank Spanner for that little tip. Sermons should be for the people and should actually help them live their Christian lives. And then the sixth point that he had was about the spiritual formation of pastors. As you can well imagine, much of the training for pastors in that time were really all about getting your theological I's dotted and T's crossed. And there was nothing in there about, oh, loving and following Jesus. Actually being spiritually formed in a life of prayer. There was none of that. It was all about having big, monstrous academic heads with shriveled little hearts. And so Spenner sought to reform even how ministers and pastors were trained, insisting that, of course, they be trained intellectually and academically, but that they be trained spiritually. He was sick of meeting pastors who knew all the theology but didn't actually know Jesus. Well, these six points became hallmarks of the pietist movement. They exerted huge influence on on many, many different streams within uh, reform, particularly reformed uh, Christianity. I mean, you could... You could be a Baptist or evangelical free. I mean, they're all sort of growing, some forms of Baptist, growing out of the same uh, roots, often from Sweden or from Lutheranism. But, but particularly for the covenant, these mission friends were so shaped by this pietist influence, as well as influence from Wesley revivalism, and there were some other uh, inf- big-time influences. But this pietist heart was the dominant influence on the families and the churches that pulled together in 1885 to found the Covenant Church. Next picture is a logo from our church, which is somewhat enigmatic, but it represents four guys in a hot tub. (laughs) You'll never unsee that now, but (laughs) it actually represents... I should not have said that. It represents... uh, <laughs> kind of unity and diversity in, in the ways that logos do. Um, but <laughs> the pulling together of mission friends in the Covenant Church, and it's, it's, it's our logo. But I, I share this history <laughs> with you. Oh, man. Because when we understand a bit of where we come from, and there's a much greater story, of course, it, it does help us realize why we are the way we are. I mean, right here is a covenant church 
uh, situated in this little corner of Erickson, here in the Creston Valley in 2022, much of what we still care about is rooted in pietism. From our concern with small groups, to shared ministry, to empowering the people of God to serve, to our absolute commitment to unity in the body of Christ, to the spiritual formation of all lay and clergy, um, the, our commitment to keep compassion ministry and evangelism together and not allow it to be torn apart like it has been historically. In the covenant church, they've always kept it together. They just didn't allow anyone to say, oh no, you got to only tell them about Jesus or only feed them. It's like, no, 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 come on, do both. We've always tried and we've always kept that together. Um, the, the commitment we have to preaching the Bible, putting the Bible in people's hands in such a way that it helps people live the life that Jesus has called us to live all of that has roots in our pietist history. Now, some of you might be from a church background. Well, it's very similar to my history. Yeah, because probably the history in your church was influenced by pietism or some kind of renewal movement like it. But in the covenant family, this is our roots. Perhaps more than anything, pietism has shaped us in this way. We're a people of the heart as well as the mind. We are people who want to know God not just know about God. You do see the distinction. Not that we don't want to know more about God, but we want to know him. Modern day pietists who seek the Spirit's renewal even now. I had picked out several scriptures to kind of bring things to a wrap here today. But just this morning in my Bible reading, a number of us are reading through the Bible in one year uh, with Nikki Gumbel through the YouVersion app. But I heard again the words of Paul from Philippians chapter 3. And it expressed this heart, this desire. And so I thought I would read it today. Because this represents our heart's cry as a congregation, as covenanters, as modern day pietists. Paul in Philippians 3 said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. That's the heart. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we're focused, it flows into that shared pursuit as mission friends, knowing Christ and letting his power shape our life and mission together. And this is why one of our central covenant questions comes right out of pietism, is where we ask each other, how goes your walk? How is your walk with Christ? Where are you growing in Christ? What's been encouraging you lately in the scripture? This is why we have uh, been challenging you, encouraging you to have a spiritual walking friend, whether you literally walk or whether you sit in front of a coffee and walk, but that you have a spiritual friend that you regularly meet with who asks you that basic question. How goes your walk with Christ? Where are you growing? Where are you being challenged? How can I pray for you? And they, in turn, they ask you that, you ask them that. That without that kind of focus, without that kind of spiritual friendship, without someone actually asking you and you asking them and praying together, much of the renewing work of the Holy Spirit 
he wants to do in our lives won't get done. This is why we challenge each other to be involved in small groups. And I realize after a pretty big hiatus, you might have noticed the last couple of years something else was going on. We're finally getting back into small groups, which is tough because we've kind of got used to not being in small groups. And the essential act of getting together, actually sitting around where you look at each other with the, with the scripture in between, in receiving together from each other what the Holy Spirit has through the word, through encouragement, through prayer, just sharing life together, small groups, gathering in shared worship, being under the scripture. All of that expresses our heart and our vision to be sharing this life together in Christ. Over the next number of weeks, we'll hopefully answer some of the questions you might have, or maybe people have asked you, what does the covenant believe? (laughs) Which is kind of a tricky question to answer, not, not because we don't care about theology or you know, all that, but because the way we frame our life together as a church under Scripture, under in Christ and under Scripture, isn't always easily captured by, um, oh, this or that, or this statement of faith or that particular thing. Uh, recently, I re- received an email from a brother in Christ who I do not know, uh, and he asked me a, a lot of very specific theological questions about us as a covenant church. Questions that were so detailed and specific, in fact, that first of all, I realized it would take me hours. I would literally be writing theological essays to return this email. But also, the very questions themselves helped me know immediately that we weren't the church for him. Now, was that because he wouldn't be welcome? No, of course he'd be welcome. Uh, and was, was that because we can't handle differences of opinion? No. In fact, um, as you're going to see in our covenant affirmations, we honor highly our freedom in Christ in the Christian family under Scripture. We, high, we high, highly honor freedom in Christ. But it actually had more to do with the angle of approach. It had more to do with the kinds of questions that have shaped covenanters and pietists over the years. That the very questions being asked meant that we're seeking something different as a community than this man was looking for. And his questions, to me, revealed how much this church family, while it may have been an important work of God's discipline in his life, would have been much more hardship than help. And so I blessed him, strongly encouraged him to go to a few other churches. Because... Knowing who we are and where we've come from helps us understand where we're going and the kinds of things that God is calling us to focus on and be. Well, I realize this was a history lesson today. I make no apologies for that. I think that knowing a little bit more of where we came from, taking a little glimpse into our family tree, it will help us as we move into this fall series and to this examination, exploration, and conversations about our core covenant affirmation, our affirmations, we have six of them, and we'll, we'll see more and more how our life together can be shaped, yes, for the glory of God and for the good of our neighbor, but having the heart of Christ renewed within us. And so if you would join with me in praying for that, we will then go to the communion table. Holy Spirit, we stand in a beautiful tradition 
And we acknowledge that for many of us, we weren't raised in the covenant. We came in from other churches, other families. We came in, and maybe this was the first church we were ever part of. And so we acknowledge that for most of us, it's like we're like, we've been adopted into the covenant. We're learning about our new adopted family. And yet we acknowledge that this particular church here, planted in 1939, and the men and women who who pulled together to, to do this, were part of a larger story of faithful men and women who have sought to follow you, to live in obedience to you for generations. And we praise you for them. Their names are lost to us, or some of them are. And yet these are beloved brothers and sisters who served you faithfully, who served your church faithfully. And uh, we owe them a debt of gratitude. I pray that in this year and the year to come, we will be more aware of your renewing work among us, your desire to be shaping us heart, mind, soul strength into the image of Christ and together as a church pursuing your life for us. Would you lead us and guide us? Help me to explain and, and explore these affirmations this fall in a way that isn't just dry or whatever, but meaningful. Together. Together, Holy Spirit, would you just renew us? Draw us to yourself. Draw us to your heart. Pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.